Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Query. How do you sleep for two plus days and not notice the dead bodies in the backyard? Hey, forget the backyard, your back porch, which is open. It's not like it's enclosed. It's right there. How do you miss three dead bodies? And then if you look out the front, you see the victim's cars still parked in front of your house. I, I think two plus two still equals four. If all the cars are there, then they haven't left. If they haven't left, where are they? Now we are learning. Of course, I'm talking about the three Kansas Chiefs fans, Kansas City Chiefs fans who go for a watch party at their friend's house, their friend house, and they're all found dead on the back porch and in the backyard. Now, we keep hearing this is not a homicide investigation, given. But who would have the story, make up the story, that they slept for two plus days, didn't answer phone calls, text messages, social messages? How can you go for two days and not look out the window, not walk downstairs, nothing? I find that impossible. So if that is not true, then is the so-called friend lying? And if the friend is lying, why is he lying? What is a reason to lie when your three best friends are dead in the backyard? Joining me today is a very special guest with me, Jonathan Price. This is Ricky Johnson's brother. And right off the top, let me tell you, these families are in so much pain. Instead of planning the next big thing in their lives, like um, a wedding or uh, some big event, a promotion, they're trying to figure out how to pay funeral expenses. There is a GoFundMe. You can find it online for Ricky Johnson. GoFundMe.com slash F slash bags Ricky Johnson. But I got to get into the facts. We now know the friend has checked himself into rehab. Why? We know that the police are trying desperately to unlock the cell phones of the three victims. They better go unlock the cell phone of, of the friend. But all that said, I want to hear Jonathan Price's story from the beginning to the end right now. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Crime Stories and on Sirius XM 111. First of all, for those of you that are not familiar with the story, who is that? Are you living under a rock in a cave on the other side of the world? For those people, listen to this. Harrington's girlfriend of 17 years flat out says David was murdered. Those three guys were murdered. 
The Kansas City police said from the very beginning the deaths are not being investigated as a homicide, but Lori Cruz says her boyfriend of 17 years did not use drugs and that he was murdered. Since early in the investigation, police have said the case is not being investigated as foul play, but some of the loved ones of the deceased believe Willis played a role in their deaths. John Harrington, father of David Harrington, whose body was found on the open porch, said that he and David's mother both are convinced that Jordan Willis played a part in the deaths. You know, the families are not buying what the police are selling. Why is that? You know what I found in all of my homicide investigations and prosecutions? Typically, the victims' families, of all people, want the truth. So why are they refusing to believe what cops are saying? You know, when you know somebody so well, like Jackie sitting right there, I can tell you right now, Jackie is not running outside to do a line of coke. No drugs. I know that. I would stake my life on it. This family says he did not use drugs. So why is he dead in the backyard? And why don't we have the toxicology reports? And why don't we have a COD cause of death on these guys? Um, okay, again, for those of you that don't know what happened, I'm going to bring you up to speed really quickly. Listen to Nicole Parton, Crime Online. On January 8, friends and family are concerned they were headed to Jordan Willis' house to watch the game. But now none of the guys, including Jordan Willis, are replying to messages on social media or by phone. On Tuesday, January 9th, 9.51 p.m., Clayton McKinney's fiance shows up at the house. She sees the cars in the driveway, and since nobody is answering the phone or replying to messages, she breaks into the home and screams Willis's name. She walks through the house, then she looks on the back porch and sees a body. Screaming McGinney's fiance calls police. Officers arrive to find Willis in his underwear with an empty glass of wine in hand. The other two bodies were then found in the backyard. Jordan Willis tells police he has no idea what happened. No idea what happened. Wine glass in hand. First to Jonathan Price. This is Ricky Johnson's brother. Jonathan, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Nancy. Jonathan, first of all, we've been praying for you, your brother, your family, and the other victims since we first heard about this. It's hard for me to believe they froze to death given what I know about the temperatures during those two days. But I'll get to that later. I want to hear from the beginning how this debacle, this odyssey started for you. Uh, well, I was working the the Wednesday after, and uh, my brother called me and uh, and gave me the news. Um, you know, and, and the information he shared with me is not very far off from what I have now, three and a half weeks later, which is very sad. Um, so, I mean, just like you said, there, you know, ever since then we've been trying to find answers as much as we can. Well, I'm curious, what what did your brother say to you? Uh, well, he told me that uh, I have some bad news to share, um, and I don't want to be like this because we don't live very close, so it's not like uh, you know he can just come down and, and tell me, uh, which made it even more difficult. Um, and uh, he told me that Ricky passed away and uh, they're not sure why. Um, they're, they just found his body. Um, so 
to both of us, nothing made sense right off the bat. And three and a half weeks later, we're still in the same boat, Nancy. So I, I can't answer. Jonathan, at the very beginning, what were you told about what happened? Uh, well, from the very beginning, they, all the reports and everything, which is the only people we've actually heard from is media. Um, especially in the first week, two weeks, we never heard anything about from the police, but that they froze to death. And that's why we've been so outspoken from the very beginning is because that is not a cause of death I would ever, ever accept. You know, my brother is a smart man. He ran a large portion of his father's construction company. He was at work all the time. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And he had three daughters that he looked forward to seeing as much as he could. So how would he put himself in a situation to freeze to death? That's not, didn't make any sense. He has three daughters? Yes. What are their ages? Uh, 14, nine, and four. Okay, right there. I, I, I've just got to tell you, I've got, I've got to go to the shrink on this. We've got an all-star panel to make sense of what we're hearing right now. But to Dr. John Delatore, psychologist, mediator, who specializes in forensic psychology at resolutionfcs.com. Dr. Delatore, thank you for being with us. I was and always will be a daddy's girl. Is that right or wrong? I don't know. But that was my soulmate. Yes, don't tell my husband. That was my soulmate, my dad, Mac. We laughed at the same things. We danced together. He went on our vacations with us, along with my mom, everything. He put me through law school. I, I cannot imagine growing up without my dad. And now you've got these three little girls, one four years old, who's never gonna know her dad. I don't know, is that better or worse? One's 13, she knows her dad. And the pain of his loss must be overwhelming, and it's going to affect them in ways we can't even figure out yet. Yeah, no, absolutely, because here's the example that they have for the loss of their father comes from this sort of confused and sort of, you know, this nebulous way in which he died. They have no answers. It's one thing to, to have an answer and to suffer a loss because you can start working through because you have the answer. You know what exactly it was that happened. But if you don't know the truth and if you think other people are keeping the truth from you, that can impact you just as much as the loss did. They're already going to be going through grieving, right? They're already going to be suffering in their own ways. And the hope is, is that they have family connections that can help them work through those problems by remembering the father that they had. But the problem is, is that they don't have an answer. They don't have an ending. And that's going to be really problematic as they continue to move forward through their grieving process. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. It's not just Jonathan Price, who is Ricky Johnson's brother, that has questions. David Harrington's father, John Harrington, has been very outspoken. Listen. David Harrington's father, John Harrington, is convinced something happened at Jordan Willis' house when the guys were watching football. He believes that Jordan Willis played a part in it. Harrington says he thinks the three men learned something or saw something they shouldn't have seen, and Willis decided, friends or not, 
Got to get rid of you. There has been a lot of online speculation about how the scientist survived in his bed asleep while his friends died in the backyard. John Harrington, the father of David Harrington, doesn't believe Jordan Willis's claims of not hearing relatives banging on his door. Willis has said he was sleeping with noise-canceling headphones on and heard nothing. Let's just go over the facts, and then we'll return to Jonathan Price. That's Ricky Johnson's brother. Joining me out of Kansas City is Grace Smith, KCTV5 investigative reporter. Grace, thank you for being with us. Tell me the facts as you know them now. Yes, Nancy. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I spoke with Jordan Willis's attorney uh, right after this happened, and he kind of just said, you know, bottom line, Jordan had nothing to do with this. Like uh, your reporter just said, he was sleeping with headphones in. He didn't hear any knocks. And when, the only thing he heard was when the police came to his door. So that's all that he has told me. And that's all that he believes. He, and I asked, I said, well, why didn't he go outside at all or check anything or look out the door? And he said he had no reason to do any of that. No reason to go outside. No okay, I'm, I'm really curious. To to Bernarda Via Lona joining us, high-profile lawyer who worked in the Homicide Bureau in New York. You can find her at ViaLonaLaw.com. Bernarda, thank you for being with us. Did he have to eat? Did he go without eating for two and a half days without drinking water? Nothing. I mean, I want to find out what's on that cell phone of his, not just the three victims. Did he answer one text? Did he open one email? Did he answer one phone call? How can you stay knocked out for two and a half days? I don't get it. Absolutely, Nancy. A lot of this doesn't make any sense at all. And just from a prosecution vantage point, I'm looking at law enforcement to definitely do this investigation. I understand that they don't want to classify it as a homicide investigation, but I think you need to take the approach. Why? Why do you understand that? In terms of... Because if I've got three dead bodies and I've got uh, anybody lying about anything. Absolutely, Nancy. And that makes it suspicious. We're on the same page. My policy would be investigated as a homicide until it is ruled out because you know when something is classified as a homicide investigation, it affects the approach of law enforcement. It affects the resources that are poured into an investigation. It affects who you contact and how you loop the prosecutor in. There are so many unanswered questions and one thing you're going to need from the prosecutor's office get a warrant for Jordan Willis's phone and let's see what communications he was having during those two days because as of now we don't have any answers and our best bet is getting answers from the cell phones of the deceased and the cell phone of Jordan Willis because it would tell us whether there was any movement it would tell us what email text communications browsing history photos videos anything that would give us some clues because obviously there's no physical we can't see anything physical on the bodies of these three individuals so far that will lead them to think automatically it was a homicide so you have to do some more digging while i have bernardo via lona let me throw a couple of legal ideas at you and i want to hear what jonathan price thinks of them number one one reason that a person is not named a suspect or a person of interest, a POI, is because once you do, they are suddenly cloaked, shrouded, blanketed with protections under our Constitution. 
Was there a name to target a suspect, a POI? You can't just walk up and start asking them questions anymore. Oh, no, no, no. That's not allowed. Absolutely, Nancy. Don't lawyer up immediately. Yes, that's what don't I'm saying. So even if it mm -hmm. is in L.A. law enforcement's mind that they're looking at this as a homicide, they're not going to come out and say it because they're going to get no cooperation at all from anybody once they're named a target. And again, no one has been named a target or a POI person of interest yet. Grace Smith, yes, no, did Jordan Willis's lawyer say anything about handing over his phone to police voluntarily? No. Not one. He, I asked about his phone and he did not tell me one thing about his phone. Or he said, well, I when you asked him the question, what did he do? He said, I cannot go into that. Why? I don't know. Okay. Uh, maybe it's just me, but Jonathan Price, Ricky Johnson, who was found out in the, the cold, dead, his brother, that doesn't concern you that the lawyer suddenly says, I can't talk to you about my client's phone. Why not? If he's really asleep two and a half days, then why can't I look at his phone? And why can't the lawyer comment? He should say, yeah, we handed it over to the cops. And it shows he didn't answer a single text or phone call during that whole time period. Yeah, I mean, that, <clears throat> that doesn't make sense at all to me. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely for constitutional rights and all that. But, you know, when it comes down to, you know, people losing their lives, uh, there's, there should, should be a fine line and, uh, you know, the lawyer, he was very consistent with, you know, changing the story and everything, but he was very consistent on not answering the drug question. And now that he did not answer the phone question, that leads me to believe since he just checked into rehab, he does have a drug problem and that's why he didn't want to answer it. You know, maybe there is something on the phone because the lawyer specifically did not answer that question, but he's open to all, answering all the other questions. Very curious. And Jonathan Price, you said the lawyer has to paraphrase what you said, gone along with changing the story. What do you mean about changing the story? Do you believe that Jordan Willis, let me just call him the homeowner, where this uh, viewing party was being, you know, like everybody gets together to watch the Super Bowl. That's what they were doing. They were watching the Kansas City Chiefs game all together at Jordan Willis's home. What do you mean by changing the story? I'm very curious. Well, from the very beginning, um, he said that uh, before the fifth person came out, he said that Jordan was there sporadically throughout the day. Uh, and then whenever, um, and then he also did not mention a fifth person, but once the fifth person came out, then he changed it to saying that there was a fifth person and that he was asleep the entire time. Uh, so those were two very specific details that were specific in the opening statement, but then changed over time. And then there's very conflicting statements about the dogs as well, because the fifth person did say that there was a dog present when he was there. And this was at midnight uh, when he left. Uh, therefore, is it between midnight and 2 a.m. you take your dog to your dad's house? That makes zero sense. So uh, the lawyer was very specific that the dogs were not there as well. So there, there's definitely things not adding up with this statement. Jonathan Price, I'm glad you mentioned that about the dogs, because I found it too convenient that they just happened to be gone during this two and a half day period. Um, that the fifth person who at first wasn't mentioned says the dog was there at midnight when the person five left. 
Now, you know, Jonathan, I, I can't even tell you how many thousands, literally thousands, of homicide investigations I've either investigated, helped investigate, tried, helped tried, or covered. You know, Jonathan, like if I ask you right now, who was in your house this morning when you had breakfast? I mean, I can tell you, my husband was there. My two children, John, David, and Lucy were there. The cat, the dog, the two guineas, and my mother. We were all there. I didn't leave anybody out, right? Why did he leave out person number five? Why? Why? But I've seen it so many times when one integral, critical detail is left out. There's a reason. There's a reason that detail is left out. Why? And why is the issue about the dog? Why did that change? Why does he want us to know the dogs are there because he would have had to let them out? Another thing, you mentioned those two discrepancies, but let me go back to Grace Smith joining us, KCTV5. Wasn't there a discrepancy in the original story from Jordan Willis about what time the three friends left? And when I'm saying the three friends, I'm talking about the three deceased victims, Ricky Johnson, Clayton McGinney, and David Harrington. Yes. Didn't he say they left, then they came back? What were his conflicting stories about when they left that night? Yeah, so he said, the lawyer told me in the early mornings, like around 2 a.m., he believes that Jordan got sleepy and said, okay, guys, I'm going to go crash on the couch. And that's what he did. And so he said goodbye to his buddies. And then they thought, he thought that they left through the front door. Then he says, wait, actually, he didn't think they left, but he just went to sleep anyways. And that other friend left about an hour before this all happened, before he went to the couch. So that's what he told me. Now, I see how they could explain that away, that he thought they had left, but maybe they didn't leave because he was passed out on the sofa. I mean, could it be as innocuous as that? I thought there was a, a little more to the story of when they left that maybe they, yeah, at one point he said they left and they came back, uh, that he had left the door unlocked so his friends could come and go in and out. His story regarding when the three victims left did change and not in an innocuous way. Now we're learning about video that has emerged from a neighbor. Listen. Tuesday, January 9th, Ashton Brady is getting ready for bed around 10 p.m. when he notices a woman walking around Jordan Willis's house very distressed. Minutes later, police are on the scene as well as an ambulance. Brady starts recording video when he sees Jordan Willis standing on his front stoop in handcuffs and his underwear. The neighbor said the police took the handcuffs off and put him in a police car and drove away. Police were then seen going through the house room by room with flashlights searching for more evidence. Police have stressed that they are not treating it as a homicide and are continuing to investigate. Curious. I'm trying to figure out what all of this means. I understand that at first they handcuffed Jordan Willis and then later unhandcuffed him. What do you know about that, Grace Smith? Yeah, so I actually went to the home of where this, where the video was taken yesterday. Um, didn't get any answers, but 
so I don't know exactly, and we didn't report on that video, um, so I can't go into that specifically, but the house was just directly across, so could see very clearly what was going on. Well, also, if he is out, if he the neighbor is out, for instance, walking his dog, I mean, he can walk down closer to the house and get the video. Parts of the video have emerged already. It's um, kind of hard to make out, but you can see certain portions of what's going on. To your understanding, let me go back to Ricky's brother, Jonathan Price. What is your understanding of that video? I mean, it, it does look like he was um, detained in the like very grainy parts that you can see there. But it just doesn't make sense to me if he left in a police car uncuffed, which I didn't think that was uh, a common thing to transfer somebody in a police vehicle unless you rule out rule out everything but uh that that's the part that doesn't make sense how you can rule it out without um you know investigating any further uh, maybe that's just to remove him from the scene or whatever but um my biggest question was if they did take him to the police station did they drug test him as well and if so what were the results of that because they definitely already have that and uh um, you know, is there any commonality between what he has in his system and what's in my brother's system? Because uh, that seems very important. Yes, it does. Uh, and joining us is renowned medical examiner, Dr. Jane Gorniak, to answer those questions. First, I want you to analyze for me, Todd G. Shipley, what we're learning about attempts to unlock the victim's cell phones. Listen to Sydney Sumner, Crime Online. Cops are asking for codes to unlock the phones of 37-year-old David Harrington, 36-year-old Clayton McKinney, and 38-year-old Ricky Johnson. Investigators say combing through the cell phones of the three Kansas City Chief fans will show who they talked to, where they went, and when they ended up outside the house on the porch and in the backyard. Again, According to what we are learning right now from KCTV5's Grace Smith, Jordan Willis's lawyer won't comment on his phone. But to Taji Shipley joining us, uh, digital cybercrime expert, former detective sergeant, and author of Investigating Internet Crimes, an introduction to solving crimes in cyberspace, and you can find him at darkintel.info. Todd Shipley, thank you for being with us. Do you remember in the recent trial of Alex Murdoch on trial for double murder, they actually had to bring in a former Secret Service person to unlock, to testify about unlocking the phone. How do you unlock a phone? It's not that easy if you don't have the code, even for police. Thanks, Nancy, for having me on this morning. Yes and no. I mean, it, it, it depends on the resources available to them. The thing is, they're part of the computer forensic laboratory that's there in um, Kansas City. So they have the resources available to do that. And law enforcement has available to them certain tools that help that. Now, if we look back you know, previously in other cases, even the FBI has had problems with specific kinds of phones, particularly the iPhones. And I haven't heard yet what kind of phones these are, but unlocking them sometimes can be trivial depending on the kind of phone and the operating system that's on it. The older operating systems, if it hasn't been updated, are easier to get to. So they should be able to get into those phones regardless. The simplest method is to ask the family for the codes that's what they tried to do. Then they've got to go and um, use these specific kinds of tools to try to break into the phones, which can take some while because 
in, in these cases, they're actually trying to come up with a password that by brute forcing or getting using multiple different kinds of passwords to get into the phone to figure out which is the password. So it could take a while, but there's so much information on those phones and that can't be overlooked. There's a ton of information, uh, particularly on the iPhones, about where the person was and what they were doing. There's the health app that's on these phones that records where you walk to. So they're going to know exactly what the one person that lived, what happened to him and where he was in the house, as well as the people that, that uh, passed away. They're going to know exactly what happened if they get in those phones. Um, I'm also encouraged by the fact, as you pointed out, phones track your movements and the time of your movements. So not only will their texts, their computer searches, their photos, we know they were taking photos that night, what else was there? And I, I really want to find out about the homeowner, as we are calling him, Jordan Willis's phone. Did they hand it over? Did they demand a search warrant? If it's not a homicide investigation, can cops even get a search warrant? We know they haven't gotten into some of the phones because they're asking the family if they know the codes. You'd be surprised, everybody, to find out, and I've researched this for my last book, Don't Be a Victim, how many people use 1212 or 123, 123, um, or 1111, or, of course, 007, or, believe it or not, 696969. Yes, very common still. Long story short, a huge percentage of people use predictable codes like 123123. Um, many people use their lucky number, 777777. It's very easy. And every X number of seconds or minutes, you can retry different codes. That's how you break a code. But they haven't broken them yet because they're asking family, hey, we can't crack it. Do you know the code? That's where that stands. I'm also curious, uh, Bernardo Villalona, they can't look at Jordan Willis's phone if he's a target. And I'm curious why the lawyer won't comment on it unless he hands over his phone. Exactly. Right? So, Nancy, the only way for law enforcement to get to the phone of Jordan Willis is whether he consents to turn over his phone and for his phone to be searched. That's number one. Or two, there's a search warrant that's signed by a judge, but then you'll need probable cause in order to get the search warrant approved. So in terms of Jordan Willis's attorney not commenting on the phone, I think he's trying to see where this investigation goes. He doesn't want to make any comments that if there is well, an if arrest. If you want to find out why your friends died, why not? you just hand over the phone you know what and the cops say me say to me hey can i look at your phone i'm going sure enjoy my twenty-two thousand pictures of the twins literally get after it so why not hand over the phone i i, I now as to cause of death that is jonathan price's big question joining us renowned board certified forensic pathologist former medical examiner Dr. Jan Gorniak, and she didn't practice at, for instance, where I grew up, Rutland County, in Rutland area of Bibb County, where all you could see is pine trees and soybean fields. She practiced in Vegas. Never a lack of business at the morgue. Dr. Gorniak, before you give me your opinion, I want you to hear about the weather 
that evening. Take a listen to Nicole Parton from CrimeOnline.com. David Harrington's father is also challenging the idea that the men froze to death. Daily Mail reports John Harrington saying, I don't think it's very likely they froze to death like some people are saying. It just wasn't cold enough. The temperature for Kansas City late in the night of Sunday, January 7, was around 36 degrees, and the temp remained above freezing all day Monday, January 8. Tuesday, January 9, was the coldest day when it was 26 degrees by 2 p.m. and 20 at 10 p.m. The first 36 hours of the mystery, the temp is at or above freezing, and it is only the last 12 hours where it gets really cold. And we also know that the three victims were found on January 9, and that is when uh, around 2 p.m. it started getting colder. So it wasn't freezing, Dr. Jan Gorniak. Uh, I heard that, but when you talk about freezing, people are thinking about above freezing of, of water. 30 degrees is cold um, for a person to be outside. Um, you wouldn't go outside without a hat or gloves, you maybe, you know, or a scarf on and stay outside. That is that is cold. I'm a, I'm a runner. Once it gets below 50, I start putting earmuffs on because my ears get cold. So 30 degrees and less below for a human is cold. So we don't want to say like the body froze. People think frozen. Um, very rarely do we have frozen bodies unless it, they're really out there, one, in, in snow and ice and out there for a prolonged period of time or literally in a freezer where um, the body freezes. So the term froze to death is not accurate. So the term that we would use would be hypothermia, so low body temperature. So when you're out in the elements and not protecting yourself from that, then your body can't. And that's why we start shivering, right? Your body shivers when you get too cold because you want to try to warm yourself up. So that's what we're talking about. Not really freezing, but a low body temperature. It's going to be difficult to say what their temperature was unless the death investigator, when they got to the scene or even at the morgue, took a body temperature. And I'm not sure the the policies and procedures of that particular office. So when your body temperature gets below 90, that's when you start being hypothermic. So it's not, I don't want people to think freezing as in ice or even not to be, you know, crude, like when you freeze meat in a freezer, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about low body temperatures, hypothermia. And those temperatures are low enough to cause hypothermia. stories with Nancy Grace. What I don't understand, Jonathan Price, this is Ricky Johnson's brother. If Ricky was outside and getting cold, why didn't he just go inside? Uh, There have also been reports that the bodies were dragged out. We know that the doors were locked when the fiance came over looking for one of the victims. So, wouldn't your brother have just gone to his car or gone back inside? Yes. I mean, that's that's common sense, and he never went outside without a coat on. I mean, getting my terms right, hypothermia is uh, understandable, but that's not the root cause. You know, my brother is a smart man, and, I mean, the other two men always looked out for each other. So they 
the odds of three men going through hypothermia, which is a process that takes time, all at the exact same time uh, is, is the part that doesn't make sense. I mean, we can go back and forth about terms, but that's that's not not a cause I would accept. Is I'll, I'll start saying hypothermia. Hey, I, I want to follow up on something you just said, Jonathan. The likelihood, and no one has discussed this, the likelihood that all three would drop dead with hypothermia in the backyard at the same time, with two of them out in the backyard and one of them and oh yeah I want to follow up with you Grace Smith how far were the backyard bodies from the porch and the window okay I want to follow up on that but to Jonathan Price the likelihood that they're all three going to die of hypothermia two out in the yard one lying on a lounge chair I think on the back porch I mean how could you miss that yeah I mean they're all they're different That's sized extremely men extremely low yeah. right May I jump back in? This is Dr. Gorniak again. If I can jump back in. And yes. Jonathan, you're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. So there's something else that's going on. So before they get to that point, we don't know, once again, waiting for the toxicology. So I believe, too, the hypothermia could be the end point because they were left outside in the elements. Um, and they might have been unresponsive for whatever reason, whether it be alcohol or other drugs. I don't know. But you're absolutely correct. It's not like they were out, you know, skiing or, or walking outside and got lost, their cars broken down um, altogether. But there is something else. So you are correct. I believe hypothermia is part of it, um, but there's something is, is missing. And without that, the missing piece which is the toxicology or other things they saw at autopsy, there is no cause of death. Right now, the cause of death is undetermined, and the manner of death is undetermined. We don't know if it's an accident or a homicide. Dr. Gordiak, for all three I agree. to perish. I, I, I totally agree. That's why there is another contributing factor that is missing, and we don't know that missing piece yet. You're absolutely correct. Agree. And now we have the issue of the homeowner as we're calling him, checking himself in to rehab. Have you, again, notice every time a Hollywood celebrity gets in trouble, like they're in deep, let me think, I gave up cursing when I had the twins, deep doo-doo. They run and check into rehab. Okay, take a listen to NicolePartonCrimeOnline.com. Jordan Willis packed his things and left just days after the discovery of his three friends dead outside while he slept for two days straight. He moved everything into storage and checked into a rehab. The investigators said Willis was not a suspect in the deaths, but family and friends of the men who died have questioned a lot of the story they have heard from Willis. A source close to Jordan Willis tells Fox Digital, quote, after the shocking loss of three of his close friends under extremely tragic circumstances, Jordan recognized that he had a problem with addiction. The source did not elaborate on the exact nature of the addiction. The deceased men's toxicology reports are still pending, but a neighbor said two of them were supposedly seen arriving at Willis's with two 30 packs of beer. Okay. Even if they had been drinking, the likelihood of all three drinking heavily, the likelihood of all three of them passing out at the same time outside and all three dying of hypothermia 
at the same time is statistically impossible. That does not make sense to Jonathan Price, Ricky Johnson's brother, weigh in. I've got to hear your analysis. And have you also heard reports that the bodies were dragged. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard reports of that. Um, I mean, there, I haven't seen anything official about that, so I, I can't really comment on the dragging part. But uh, as far as the, the likelihoods and everything, yeah, I mean, like I said from the very beginning, these three men were inseparable. You look at any of their Facebooks, any picture that's posted, it's not of their family, it's of these men. And if just one of them, even two of them, passed out at the same time, which is already, like, impossible, you know, the other man would have absolutely brought them inside and called for help, something. So that's just insane. We also know that the version of events has changed. Listen to Rachel Bonilla. The current version of events has Jordan Willis waving the three other men off at 2 a.m. after the game, and he went to sleep on the couch. By 2 a.m., the game had been finished for at least seven hours as it was a 3.25 kickoff and the game lasted three hours. Willis still says he had no clue that three men were laying outside for two days. John Harrington points out that his son David was a big man, 300 pounds, and he was on the open porch while the other two were in the yard. So to you, Grace Smith, joining us, KCTV 5, is that possible? Can you walk around downstairs and never look, never see, inadvertently even, out the front door or the back door? I mean, the front windows or the back windows? I mean, I've looked at that backyard with my own two eyes. I think for me, it would be hard, Um, but I'm just nosy, so I feel like I would definitely see something. But if you're not looking, I guess possibly not. But for me, I feel like hearing that, seeing the backyard with my own two eyes, that would be very, very difficult. I mean, isn't it a natural reaction, Dr. John Delatoria? I guess I gotta ask a shrink. Isn't it natural to look out the window while you're walking through or sitting down having a cup of tea? Yeah, absolutely. Who would just not even look out the window? Well, here's the thing is that you're assuming that he was sober any any of that time. I mean, I'm not saying that he was asleep two days. That's absolutely ridiculous. And if he's if he's in the throes of addiction the way that he's claiming to be, then he's for sure not staying asleep. He's got to get up and he's got to drink or use whatever he needs to, to use. That, that's his drug of choice. But there's nothing to assume that he was sober and actually paying attention to his surroundings. You can't trust anything that he's saying. If he's accurate in saying that he needed that, that he's got a problem with drugs and alcohol, you can't trust anything that he says because more than likely it was tinged with, with some kind of illicit substance. So of course he's not looking outside or going outside. Of course he's not getting dressed, right? Because he's, he's not sober. I mean, think about it. When you're on a plane, your natural instinct is to look out. People that are afraid of flying, they have to shut the window because the natural instinct is to look out the window. I'm just not believing that he goes over two days and doesn't even look out a window. It's not that he's not looking out the window, it's that He's so hungover or he's so intoxicated, he doesn't even know what he's seen. Guys, it's not just Jonathan Price, who is Ricky Johnson's brother. Uh, John Harrington, father of David Harrington, is in so much pain and not getting answers. Listen. John Harrington, father of one of the deceased, David Harrington, says he isn't getting info from the police. The Daily Mail reports that Harrington says he has been in the dark regarding the investigation and says he just wants to know what happened to his son. 
Harrington says everything he has put together about what he thinks happened is just him. The police haven't shared anything with him. Harrington said, my son is dead. Why? To Jonathan Price, tell me what your family is going through right now. I mean, this, this has been the most difficult uh, thing that I've ever faced in my life. And you know, I've, I've been through things, uh, not that I would ever share or anything, but I'm, it's, it's immeasurable um, to lose somebody that growing up, um, he was somebody I always admired. Um, I looked up to him and he's one of very, very few people in my life that I can say we never fought, even when I was a kid and he was eight years older than me. We never fought once. Um, and I always jokingly said, except for whenever I wanted to watch Power Rangers and he wanted to watch Sports Center. Now, that's the only time we ever fought, but I'm perfectly fine with that. And I'm going to be living with regret of not talking to my brother as much as I, I should have throughout these years. But I, I, it's, this is so difficult. And I mean, I can't speak for my entire family, but, you know, it, it's I, I would understand everybody um, because of what Ricky was in their lives. What was it like growing up with him? Uh, it, was, it was a good time. Uh, looking back, obviously, uh, as a child, I always thought he was picking on me and stuff like that. But looking back, I mean, it's so cherished memories. And, you know, even before he passed, we, we would always joke about it and laugh about it. Um, you know, taking me to sports, going to see him play football um, in high school and college. I mean, he he was just an all-around amazing person. And once he had his, his first daughter, you know, things changed for him. Um, he, every, everything was about her and, uh, and, and trying to make things right. And I mean, I, it, it hurts me to, to think of him suffering. And I hope that he was not suffering at this time. Um, but I mean, my brother was an amazing man and anybody that knew him would tell you that and what he would do for them without any questions asked. He he had such a huge heart. You were hearing Jonathan Price. This is Ricky Johnson's brother found dead in the back of Jordan Willis's home along with two other friends. Still no answers. We wait as justice unfolds, God willing. Goodbye, friend.